Yes, Father, we're here in your presence to worship you in the midst, God. Yes, church, he hears your heart. Let's glorify his name in this place. We offer him our whole hearts today. Yes, Lord. It's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. Yes. And every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? We declare this church. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. That's right. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb Oh, every knee will bow before Him Can we approach Him and surrender today, church? Yes! So open up the gates Make way before the King of Kings we make way, Lord, for your presence. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Yeah. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him. impossible yes we praise him for his breakthrough church cause who can stop the Lord almighty who can stop the Lord almighty who can stop the Lord almighty who can stop the Lord we sing it again can stop the Lord Almighty, no one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty, no one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty, yeah. Who can stop the Lord? Sing our God. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fire. Battles, and every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Oh, every knee will bow before Him.
We've heard that there is no way 
you are still moving. Father, it is our prayer that you would lead us, that you would build us up, that we would walk like Jesus on the earth. Yes, let us see Jesus in us. Let us see Jesus in us. Yes, build our lives up. Oh, we sing this is worth
faithful one is here. Yes, I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken. No, no, we won't be shaken in the midst of your glory. What more can we offer you? What more can we offer you, God? Our whole hearts, every word of praise from our lips. We praise him in full surrender this morning, church. It's the light of the world. You step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. And made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. This is the reason we came. It's the reason we came. Cause here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Yes, you are. I know the days, oh, so highly exalted. Glorious in heaven above. You just did the glory. Humbly you came to the earth. of your love, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Here I to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful. 
We thank you so much for this love that you so freely give. And the word of this song where we say, you are my God. What a gift. And we offer our whole hearts to you. And we surrender to you. We say, God, I am yours. But the truth of that matter is that he is ours as well, church. He is ours. His love is available. That we don't have to go through this life alone. That he is partnering with us. That he is walking with us. Every time we stumble, every time we fall, he is there to lift you back up on your feet again no matter how far you turn no matter how hard it gets no matter how far you fall he is there god thank you thank you for a secure future in your grace and as long as we're here on this earth and in time beyond what freedom there is we declare we will worship you this day the next the day after that god we will worship you here I am, Lord, what more can I give? Yes, God, thank you. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you in God's house as your family today. We ask that you be glorified in this place in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. Amen, church. Wow, nothing like worshiping together, united in God's house. Well, hey, we're all family here. Would you turn to those around you, and would you welcome them as family in God's house this morning? Hey. friends it is good to be with you and good to worship with you here I am Lord to worship here I am to bow down here I am to say that you are my God that that brings rest that brings peace to the soul so it's good to see you this morning welcome to everybody who's joining us online as well welcome to those who are returning from being with us online it is great to see you and welcome to the Lord's house uh, this morning 
We have some special things to celebrate and announce before we uh, move into the worship service this morning. And one of them has to do with someone who has and is and will be very special to our fellowship. And I want to invite Melissa Bruce to come join me down front just for a moment here this morning, Melissa. Yeah, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment, uh, a chance to, to really applaud her because for more than... Uh, they're fixing my mic. The tech guys are working on it. But for more than 15 years, uh, Melissa has faithfully served our fellowship as part of our church staff. And she has served as our custodian. She served as our hospitality coordinator. She's volunteered in a million places. She's served in the youth on Wednesday nights. She has, I could just go on and on, the arts and crafts ministry. There's a million things a million times she stepped up to the plate in weddings and funerals and last-minute things of every kind. But for all of us, there comes that moment when, you know, it's time to retire. And uh, Melissa came and shared with me a couple of weeks ago that, that she feels that now is that time to retire. And so, church, we have blessed her behind the scenes. We're sending her off on a special retreat. We have flowers for her this morning. But none of it means as much as, first of all, our appreciation as a church, my appreciation as a leader who you've put up with with all his faults and defects for a long time. <laughs> but also, the reward, ultimately, you know, Melissa, comes from your Savior. And it's forever. Every cup of cold water, every bathroom cleaned, <laughs> every pot of coffee made, every, every time. So church, Melissa's still going to be here. She's going to be one of us. But can we celebrate her long years of serving? pray for you. I want to pray for you. Yeah. And can I, can I ask you, yeah, please be seated. Can I ask you to join, join with me? Maybe, maybe just stretch out your hand and, and let's pray together for this next chapter, this next season in her life, because th this isn't the end of her journey with Jesus. This is the turning of the page into the next phase of what God is going to do in her life and through her life. So would you pray with me, friends? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the priceless gift of Melissa in our midst, for every time she has answered the bell, God, stepped up to serve. We know that every one of those moments is precious to you, that you remember them, that you save them, and that you reward them. Jesus, that's what you taught us. And God, we appreciate Melissa so much, but there's not any comparison between our appreciation and yours. You, you love her as that daughter who knows her father's business. And we ask your blessing on her as she steps into this new phase in her life. God, we pray your blessing on her marriage. God, we pray your blessing on her ongoing ministry, on her family, and on her own walk with you. Lord, we ask that you would pour out grace as you always have and promise to always do 
on every step of her journey. And we thank you, Lord, that when we get to the end, when we get all the way to the end, Melissa will have a room just down the hall from all the rest of us. And we'll be there together forever in your house. Jesus, you do that. You make that happen. You have given her your spirit. We thank you for it. We ask your blessing on her as she steps into this next chapter. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Oh, that's um, maybe especially uh, emotional for me because uh, Melissa is the only member of our church leadership team who was here when I got here 15 years ago. And uh, I feel the passing of time with uh, Melissa moving on, but we rejoice, we celebrate. Okay, I'm going to choke back my emotions here and talk about a few things, a few announcements for us. First of all, friends, hey, next Sunday is our church picnic. We got rained out in June. We're definitely not getting rained out this next week. We hope that you will make plans to join us Sunday afternoon. We're just going to spread out across the campus. We've got a ton of stuff for the kids. We've got the food. Everything's provided for. Bring, bring a lawn chair. Uh, bring a, an umbrella if you want. We'll have some shade. But it's not supposed to be, I think I looked at the forecast this morning, it's supposed to be 80 next week, so wonderful day. And we hope that you'll come and join us for the picnic. Invite a friend, invite a neighbor. It's open and available to everyone. But that's next Sunday after third service. So mark that on your calendar. Be aware of that. I also want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving, church. Our church is so generous. And as a result... Uh, we've got kids headed out to kids camp Monday and Tuesday, the next two days. The middle schoolers are headed out to middle school camp this morning. You probably saw them gathering when you came in this morning. The high schoolers the week after. And we were able to scholarship a number of those kids that are going to all those camps because of the faithfulness of your giving. Families that wouldn't be able to afford to send their kids to camp, and we've been able to step in and make sure they go. So huge thanks for that. Can we kind of appreciate one another for giving like that? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like we clap all the time, but it's worth clapping for, so it's, it's good stuff. Uh, I want to ask you as well to remain in prayer for those camps. Um, if you went to camp as a teenager, you know how powerful a time it can be. And we have uh, 30 middle schooler kids headed out today, 47 high schoolers next week, and then a, just a mob of kids, uh, grade schoolers, going on Monday and Tuesday. So we rejoice in that, and we pray for those camps. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you again to bow your head in prayer, and let's lift up those camps. Would you do that with me? God, we come to you this morning as a church, your church, your family, and we pray, Lord, for these camps and these kids that are going on these camps. Lord, we pray, pour your spirit out on every chapel service, on, on every afternoon spent in fun, on every small group in a cabin. God, we pray, pour your spirit out on these camps. Touch young people with the, 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 the power of your gospel, with your grace and your love and your father heart. We pray for that. 
We ask your blessing and your anointing. We think, Lord, of all those volunteers who are taking vacation time, taking time off from their jobs in order to go and to serve kids. Lord, we ask your blessing on them as they go and they serve. And we pray that from these camps would come rich fruit, lives touched, lives changed. Lord, we lift these camps up to you and we pray your blessing over every one of them. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good stuff. Well, grab your Bible, if you would, and open it to the prophet Haggai. Um, we are in the sixth week of this series called The Magnificent Seven. We've been meeting and hearing from God through the minor prophets, a part of our Bible that, that many of us maybe have never ventured into. And this morning, we find ourselves in the prophet Haggai. And he has a deeply personal word for us this morning. Have you ever noticed that there are lots of things that you don't think you want to do until you do them? Have you ever noticed that? It's like getting in the lake when you go to the picnic, right? You say to yourself, I don't want to, it's cold, I don't want to get wet, and then you get in and you're glad you did and you never regret it. Getting in a water fight at a picnic. Now, I thought to myself, if I say that, I'm pretty much ensuring there'll be a water fight at next Sunday's picnic. But, you know, nobody thinks they want to be involved in a water fight at a picnic until they're involved in one. And then it makes one of those memories that we're glad we didn't miss out on. There's lots of things you don't think you want to do until you do them. Remember when I graduated from infantry school in the Marine Corps and we got our choice, a few of us, of duty stations and I was offered an opportunity to go on a three-year tour of duty in St. Thomas in the Caribbean. <laughs> and somehow I convinced myself I didn't want to do that. <laughs> that I wanted to go somewhere more exciting, more fun, more interesting. In fact, I talked my best friend out of taking that duty station and he went with me for a year in Iceland. I haven't spoken to him in decades. You know. <laughs> There's lots of things you don't think you want to do until you do them. I could have spent three years in St. Thomas. Instead, I spent a year in Iceland. Life is full of choices between what we think we want and what God calls us to. Let me say that again. Life is full of choices for all of us between what we think we want and what God calls us to. A few years ago, the Nike Corporation ran a, a very unusual TV commercial. You, you might remember it. It was criticized at the time as being maybe a little too extreme, but it definitely makes its point. It's about a minute long. Let me invite you to take a moment and watch that commercial with me. You so beautiful to me you are so You are 
Did you get what that commercial was saying? It was celebrating the sacrifices that we make for the things we love doing. And the idea is that those sacrifices become beauty. You are so beautiful to me. I made a sacrifice. I can relate a little bit to that commercial. I've had five knee surgeries as a result of a lifetime of playing basketball. You would think after one or two or three, I would stop. But every time, I would get the surgery and go, okay, doc, now how do I rehab so I can go back and play it again? There are some joys, the pursuit of which makes sacrifice irrelevant. And that's what Haggai comes to remind the people of Israel of. On the one hand, it sounds crazy. In a, in a culture, in a society that has gone mad with the faith in gratifying the self, the message that self-sacrifice is actually the most rewarding thing sounds alien, except to those who experience it. The prophet Haggai preached to a people who were tired exhausted in fact we're going to learn a little bit about that and thought that the rest they needed was a rest from God instead of a rest in God and as a result their souls were withering the same thing happens to us when we believe the lie that anything less than honoring our father God our savior that anything less than that can truly satisfy us and that's the message that Haggai brings. Now let me, let me give you a little context before we hear from him directly. The prophet Haggai speaks to Israel just after Israel has returned from their exile in Babylon. They had been carried away to a foreign land, kept in bondage in that land for a long period of time, 40 years plus. And then they had returned to Israel. And when they returned, they found Jerusalem ruined. They found their homes and neighborhoods devastated. They found the temple torn down. And we can read in Ezra and Nehemiah about how they rallied the people to begin the rebuilding process. God had delivered them and brought them back to the land they lost, just like he said it was, he would, something that most thought was impossible. And at first, we learn in Ezra and Nehemiah, they were excited, but like all excitement, it eventually faded. And they became convinced that they needed to take care of themselves in their own strength instead of seeking God. And it's out of that context that the prophet Haggai speaks to them. Listen to what he says, chapter 1, right at the beginning with verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the Israelites, these people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. In other words, now is not the time to focus on the temple. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? In other words, the prophet comes to contradict their assumption that building the temple was the last priority on their agenda. That building the temple was the least important part of their restoration. Now it's interesting to note that the, the people weren't really too tired in body. They had enough energy to work on their own houses, but they were weary in their hearts. They had lost that hunger, that desire to honor God, to seek God, to experience God. This always happens, friends, 
when we mistake excitement for his presence. And many do. We think we're close to God when we're excited and far from him when we aren't. That's not biblical or theological or spiritual truth. It's the symptom of the entertainment-driven culture we live in. It says that, hey, I need to be entertained. That's the answer to my woes. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees who just wanted to see signs and wonders, who just wanted to be stirred up, who just wanted to be excited. And in the parable of the sower, the Lord himself describes a certain kind of half-hearted pursuit of him and the results when we put excitement before truth. In chapter 8, verse 13 of Luke's gospel, that parable of the sower, Jesus tells us that those on the rock, the second group of people, are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. They get excited. Yeah, I want to start something with God. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. You know, it's easy to understand this principle. Most of us have learned by now how easy it is to get married and how hard it is to stay married. And because of that, some say, well, if it's hard, it, it must not be worth it. I don't want to do anything hard, but therein lies the devil's lie. Because it's in the doing of things we don't think we want to do that we find the joy we were looking for all along. Try telling a mom that her birth pains aren't working or aren't worth it. Ron and I will celebrate 37 years married this year. And it's been hard, and a lot harder for her than me sometimes. But so unbelievably worth it. And that's the message that Haggai is bringing to the people. In the same way, building the temple of God in your life is hard but worth it. Can I just pause for a moment? You know, I was struck this week as I prayed and prepared this message as I listened to Haggai. I was struck by the parallels between Israel's experience then and ours now. We're coming out of this pandemic. Nobody saw it coming. (laughs) Nobody thought it would be as intense as it was. 2020 was not the greatest year in anybody's memory. And we felt it not only in our homes, but in our hearts. I can't tell you how many people I've sat with who talk about how tired they are, how worn down, how debilitating this last year has been. And as a consequence, some are saying to themselves, you know what, I just really need to pull back from all that commitment that I had to my walk with God. I'm too tired. I need to pull back from that dedication that I felt to the community of Christ, to my local church, to the body of Christ. I'm just going to back off a bit because I'm tired. That's exactly what Israel was feeling coming out of the exile. And God comes to them and says, hey, no, you don't need a rest from me. You need a rest in me. And to rebuild the temple in your heart and in your life, that's what will bring what you're looking for. By resting from me. Haggai goes on to call our attention to this later in chapter 1, verses 7 to 10. This is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house. He's talking about the temple. So that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, 
But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. All of that is a, is a, is a poetic way of saying you can't find satisfaction. And it's because you put honoring God at the end of your agenda. And you've done that because you've said to yourself, I'm really tired, I need a rest. But God says, yes, I know. The rest you need is found in me, not from me. The people were unsatisfied and they kept working on their own houses, their own situation, thinking that that would satisfy them, but it can't because, friends, you and I are souls. We're not just bodies. We're not just minds. We're not just hearts. We are spirits. Now, today, we we learn under the new covenant in Christ that we build the temple in our hearts, that it is built from the inside out by daily prayer and the receiving of God's word. And, And we build the temple in our community of Christ, the local church that we call home. In that community and in our own hearts is where the temple is built today. And so the challenge that Haggai is bringing to the people is saying, hey, I know you're exhausted, But the way out of your exhaustion is to rebuild the temple in your heart and in your life. God knows that Israel will be better off when she puts first things first. And that's why he sends the prophet Haggai to bring this message. I remember when I was in the Marine Corps, we were taught uh, after a forced march, you're just exhausted, you're worn out, you're sore, you're tired. But the first thing that we did at the end of every first mar- forced march before we rested was to build a fortified position, to build a camp that we could defend. And I got to tell you that after a 20-mile march with an 80-pound pack, you don't want to dig a hole. But we learned to do it because we knew that that's where rest would actually be found. It's found in putting first things first. After the position was created and the situation was established and we were dug in, then there was a deeper rest than we would ever experience without it because we knew we were ready. That's why Jesus says pointedly to me, to you, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Rest won't flow into your life and mine through getting our situation organized the way we think it should. It comes from hearing from God, from experiencing God, from worshiping God. It's in the restoration of the temple that God knew Israel would be restored. To put it, uh, to say it again, we don't need rest from God. We need the rest of God. And it comes when we put him first in the deepest way. This is what Jesus tried to teach a man who knew how to take care of himself, or so he thought. We read that story in Mark chapter 10. Let me share it with you briefly this morning. The scripture says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Mark says that this man was excited. He was emotional. He ran up to Jesus. He fell on his knees. And Jesus' response is interesting. The Lord says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. There's a little irony. There's even a hint of holy sarcasm in his response. It's almost like he's deliberately pouring cold water on this man's hot feelings. Why? To get to his real heart, which is beneath 
and beyond his excitement. We might have expected Jesus to say, some guy runs up to him and falls on his knees before him. We might have expected Jesus to say, oh wow, here's an excited guy, now this is what I've been looking for. And if Jesus were a modern ad executive, or if he was running for political office, or if he was maybe a TV evangelist, he might have done just that. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, essentially, don't flatter me. Don't call me good without thinking about the implications of calling me good. If I'm truly good, like God is, then you're going to have to listen to my answer and really do what I say. In a way, Jesus is saying to this man, are you prepared for that? Or are you just excited? Jesus often warned against being led by excitement. Luke tells us in chapter 14, a man came to him and said, I want to follow you. Jesus said, hey, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you're going to follow me, you've got to leave stuff behind. Maybe the hardest thing for us to do in our Western materialistic culture is to leave stuff behind. Jesus said, in order to follow me, you're going to have to do that. Paul, the apostle in Romans chapter 10, warned about zeal without knowledge. Once again, it's this whole paradigm of mistaking excitement for the presence of God. And then Jesus takes this man on a journey. He says to him, verses 19 to 20 of Mark chapter 10, the man has said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, All these I have kept since I was a boy. In other words, this guy knew how to take care of himself. Or so he thought. If that was all there was to it, then why is he here in this moment asking for eternal life? The world is full of people who think real religion is just keeping commandments, and that's the foundation for sure, but it goes much deeper. Thinking that's the whole thing is like owning a beautiful car that doesn't have an engine. A certain purity of morals will only get you so far. Then you have to decide whether your whole heart is in it. I was deeply challenged years ago when I went to a pastor's conference and in the process of getting to know each other around our table, there was about 600 of us in a big auditorium and six of us around every table. And right at the beginning, we were asked to share with one another kind of our life verse. You know, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? What's the one that moves you the most deeply? So we ran around the table and Most of the uh, pastors around the table shared verses we would all uh, nod and agree with, got to me, I did the same, James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless, is to look after widows and orphans in their distress, keep oneself from being polluted by the world, all of us, and then we got to the last guy around the table, he's a quiet guy, when he sat down, I confess to you, I didn't think much, (laughs) I thought, wow, that guy doesn't look like much. And then he shared his life verse, 2 Chronicles 25.2. Whose life verse is 2 Chronicles 25.2? Until he read it to us. Speaking of King Amaziah, the passage says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. Not wholeheartedly. Wow. That guy went from being unimpressive to me to being somebody I can't ever forget. <laughs> I wish my life verse was 2 Chronicles 25 too. And it's that kind of thing that Jesus is speaking to this rich young ruler about. It's that kind of thing that Haggai is speaking to Israel about. 
Like this man, lots of people have learned how to achieve a certain level of success in the world. But we feel the lack of eternal life. The Greek word is zoe. It doesn't just mean someday going to heaven. It means a quality of life that begins here and now and extends into forever. It's a thing we experience now. And we go chasing it in every kind of hobby and career and workout plan and dieting regimen, but it's really found in putting God's call at the center of your life. That's where it's found. And, and God knows that. So when he comes to Israel, he says, hey, you won't find what you're looking for. You won't find it in building up your own house. That's a wonderful thing, and God wants to bless you with that, but that can't satisfy you. You need to build up the temple. And the message of God today to us, to you, to me, as we come out of our exile, as we come out of this pandemic is, hey, have you put the temple first in your own heart, in your daily life, and in your local church, whatever fellowship you call home? A little moral purity or earthly success can never be a substitute for a life sold out to serve God. Watchman Nee tells the true story of a, a Chinese Christ follower who had a rice paddy. He was a farmer next to one owned by a, a communist man. And the Christ follower irrigated his rice paddy by pumping water out of the canal using a leg-operated bicycle pump. But every day, after he had pumped enough water to irrigate his field, his neighbor would come and remove the boards so that that water flowed into his field because his field was a little lower. And this went on for weeks. And the Christ follower prayed, Lord, if this keeps up, I'm going to lose all my rice and maybe my field. I've got a family to care for. What should I do? And he felt in his heart one day as he prayed, as he worshiped God in the midst of this trial, he felt in his heart one day, God say to him, clear as a bell, I too have a child to take care of. He lives next door to you. Why have you given no thought to him and his eternal destiny? So the next morning, the Christian man rose much earlier than usual, and in the pre-dawn hours, he removed the boards between his field and his neighbor's, and he rode his bicycle pump until the neighbor had received enough water to irrigate his field. Then he replaced the boards and pumped his own field. And he didn't just do this for a day or a couple of days. He made it his regular routine. This went on for weeks. His wife became angry at him for the way he seemed to be giving in to his neighbor's injustice. But six weeks later, his communist neighbor came to him with tears in his eyes and thanked him. And they began to talk. And that morning, that man received Jesus as his Savior, which changes everything. Some of us just want to argue with our neighbors. The Spirit of Christ doesn't. He wants to win them. What sort of joy do you think that farmer felt that morning? There was a part of him that was sure that was exactly what he did not want to do. <laughs> and yet he did it. And it changed everything. Was it worth the pain and sacrifice? Absolutely. Is it possible that giving ourselves away in service to God is better than all the riches and success we could possibly have on earth? This is the one thing you still lack of which Jesus spoke to this rich young man. And it's the lack of that kind of satisfaction and meaning that people are perishing from today. 
Jesus offered the man the answer to his need. Here's what the Lord said. Jesus looked at him and loved him. (laughs) He looks at everybody and loves them. We don't. We divide them into categories. We set up borders and boundaries. We argue with them. We try to defeat them. We hope we can crush them. Jesus wants to save them all. He looked at him and he loved him. And he said, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Don't misunderstand his invitation. The phrase follow me is a formal invitation to discipleship. He's not just saying let's do the hippie thing and wander around the countryside. He's saying come and learn from me for a lifetime. What would you say in that moment? More importantly, why would you say it? The scripture tells us at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. He had a lot of stuff. And he didn't want to lose any of it. Seeing this, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is. Why? Because it requires some enormous skill or passion? No. Because they just don't want to let go of their stuff. The hobbies, the careers, the agendas. Gordon MacDonald said famously, I am of the opinion that busyness is a deeper threat to the soul than pornography ever was. Wow. Words worth thinking about. Don't misunderstand. They're both dangers. But is it possible that one is even greater than we thought? Now, the scripture goes on to tell us that the disciples are flabbergasted by this. They say, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus says what's impossible with men is possible with God. For this man, this moment isn't necessarily walking away from salvation, but he is walking away from the satisfaction of the hunger and thirst in his own heart. He's consigning himself to live with it or die with it for the rest of his life. Anyone who wants to find out what they're lacking must understand that following Jesus means making sacrifices you don't think you want to make. Until you make them. So you can experience what you really long for. One of my favorite quotes in life, you've heard me share it before, former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, Tom Landry, was asked by a reporter to describe his job as an NFL head coach. And he said, my job is to get these guys to do what they don't want to do so they can be who they've always wanted to be. And it's real. It's real. This is what Haggai is calling Israel to. This is what the Spirit of God is calling us to in this season. When you put the temple of your own heart, the building of that temple in your daily life, when you put your participation in the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, back at the center of your life, you find the rest you're looking for. When we renew our devotion to the community of Christ, we renew our souls. One more thing. We're almost done. Haggai says in chapter 2, there's only two chapters in Haggai. He says this, he says, Who of you is left who saw this house, this temple, in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? But now be strong, all you people of this land, declares the Lord, and work. Get back into this building of the temple, for I am with you. And the glory of this present house, even though it looks like a ruin now, 
will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. Israel got into this nostalgic thing. We want it to be the way it was back in the day. God said, no, I'm going to make it even greater in the future as you give yourself to the building of the temple. We have weathered this storm, church. And some of us look back and say, I'm one of them, looks back and says, oh, I miss a certain buzz that was there before all this happened. God, I grieve the loss of that. And we've been through such a tough year. But God is saying, hey, gang, heads up. As you renew your rebuilding of the temple in your heart and in your local church, I'm telling you that what's ahead is going to be better than anything you ever experienced before. Both in your life as an individual and in our life as the people of God. Remember, Israel had been back from exile for about 20 years. During that time, they'd grown complacent. They thought their best days of faith were behind them. God says, no, they're ahead of you. And he's saying that to you. And he's saying that to us. He's saying that to anyone willing to listen. Moses spent 40 years herding those sheep in Midian. And many times it was easy to believe that everything God had called him to was lost and behind him. But the reality was it was ahead of him. Because it was after that exile that he led Israel out of bondage in Egypt. The faith ahead of you if you rebuild your temple will be greater than what's behind, both for you as an individual and for us as a community of Christ. So let me close in our last five minutes by giving you a couple practical things to do and then we'll be done. How do you get out of a rut? How do we receive Haggai's word? Number one, confess that you're tired. (laughs) Just admit it. Admit it to yourself. Admit it to God. Admit it to your spouse. Admit it to your friends. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. Rest isn't found in the absence of a yoke, but the right yoke. Confess that you're tired. Just admit that to yourself and to God. And then second, admit why you're tired. A guy says, you expected much, but it turned out to be little. Why? Because of my house, which remains a ruin. In this last year, you know, it's been easy to move God out of the center of our focus. And that's where the weariness comes from. Number three, be willing to let go of lesser things. The scripture tells us, 2 Timothy chapter 2, in a large house, there's articles not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for noble purposes, some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Let go of some... The the, the Israelites in Haggai's time were going to need to say, you know what, I'm going to put my house on the back burner for a while. Because my soul needs me to invest in the building of the temple, in my heart and in my community. Let go of lesser things. Then number four, choose to rebuild your temple. Maybe you've fallen out of the habit of your quiet time in the morning. When you get alone with God for a few minutes, listen to his word. Give yourself to prayer. Rebuild your temple. Jeremiah the prophet says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus said to the church in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, repent and do the things you did at first when you were a new believer, when you were beginning, when you were starting out. 
Rebuild your temple in your life. And then the last thing is to look forward to more of God. The promise that God gives Israel through Haggai, chapter 2, verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. You know, today's message is, is not one designed to get us to jump up and down and run around. Today's message is God saying, hey, Greg, the way to what you're looking for is to put the temple back at the center of your life. To put the altar of your daily worship first on your agenda. Then to put your participation in the body of Christ right up there at the top. Because at the end of the day, we are Jesus in this world now. We are. And we are called into our community for that purpose. We find ourselves when we own that. Maybe you've, you've drifted. Maybe the altar of your heart has just kind of fallen down because it hasn't been tended. God wants to renew it. God wants to restore it. Would you bow your head with me? Close your eyes. God, we thank you for the word that you brought Israel through Haggai. And we thank you for how it's living and eternal and speaks to us even right here and right now. God, I was so amazed this week as I sat down to hear Haggai again and to realize, wow, this is exactly where we are. Coming out of this exile, feeling what was lost. And you come and say, hey, what's ahead is greater still. What's ahead in me is greater still. God, help us to hear that in our busy days, God. Let us make our first business the rebuilding of your temple in our hearts. And then after that, Lord, the rebuilding of our fellowship, of our love for one another, of our devotion to one another under you, Jesus. We pray for that. God, send us from here knowing that that's where we'll find what we're looking for. That's where the satisfaction is. God, help us to hear that, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? It's a brilliant promise that God gives us through Haggai. It reminds me of something that Billy Graham said. It's always stayed with me. He said, if if you wake up one morning and find that God seems far away, it's because one of you moved and it wasn't him. (laughs) Because his heart is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon.